and welcome to the Once Again Podcast. We are your hosts, Ashley and Jason. In this episode, we will be looking at the 1971 film, Bedknobs and Broomsticks. In this series, we won't be doing a deep analysis of the film, or giving a bunch of behind-the-scenes facts, but rather giving our impressions of the overall film and the songs from the film. We will also be giving a score to the film and ranking the songs. So grab some popcorn, sit back, and enjoy this episode. Bedknobs and Broomsticks is a 1971 American live-action animated musical fantasy film directed by Robert Stevenson and produced by Bill Walsh for Walt Disney Productions. During the early 1960s, Bedknobs and Broomsticks entered development when the negotiations for the film rights to Mary Poppins were placed on hold. When the rights were acquired, the film was shelved repeatedly due to the similarities with Mary Poppins, until it was revived in 1969. Originally at a length of 139 minutes, Bedknobs and Broomsticks was edited down to just under two hours prior to its premiere at Radio City Music Hall in New York City. As with Mary Poppins, the Sherman Brothers composed the film's songs, and as I previously mentioned, I believe this was the last time they left Disney Studios afterwards. The film was released on October 7, 1971, to mixed reviews from critics, Uh, some of whom praised the live-action animated sequence. The film received five Academy Award nominations, Best Visual Effects, Best Art Direction, Best Costume Design, Best Scoring Adaptation and Original Song Score, Best Original Song for the Age of Not Believing, and won one of those, Best Visual Effects. This is the last film released prior to the death of Walt Disney's surviving brother, Roy O. Disney, who died two months later. It is also the last theatrical film Reginald Owen appeared in before his death the next year in 1972. In 1996, the film was restored with most of the deleted material reinserted back into the film. A stage musical adaptation has been produced. The musical had its world premiere at the uh, Theatre Royal in Newcastle-upon-the-Tyne on August 14, 2021 before embarking on a UK and Ireland tour until May of 2022. The budget for the film was $6.3 million, or $46 million today, and the box office was $17.9 million, or, 139, or excuse me, $130.9 million today. Okay. You're letting me do names. Oh, go ahead. Yes. Yeah. Screenplay by Bill Walsh, Don DeGrady, Based loosely on The Magic Bedknob and Bonfires and Broomsticks by Mary Norton. Cinematography by Frank V. Phillips. Edited by Cotton Warburton. Music by Erwin Costell. Distributed by Buena Vista Distribution. The runtime was 117 minutes for the original 1971 version and 139 minutes for the 1996 reconstruction version. It starred Angela Lansbury as Miss Galatine Price, David Tomlinson as Mr. Emilius Brown, Ian Wayhill as Charles Charlie Rollins, Cindy O'Callaghan as Carrie Rollins, Roy Snart as Paul Rollins, Roddy McDowell as Mr. Rowan Jelk. Yelk? Jelk. Jelk. Yeah. Is it Jelk or Yelk? I, I, I would assume Jelk. Oh, it could be... Oh, it might have been one of the German... I think yeah. it's Roman Yelk. Okay. So. Yeah, that's why I stopped and thought about it. Mm. So, Mr. Roman Yelk. Sam Jaffe as the Bookman. 
Bruce Forsyth as Swinburne, Tessie O'Shea as Miss Jessica Jessie Hobday, John Erickson as Colonel Heller, Reginald Owen as Major General Sir Brian Teagler. Yeah, the British. <laughs> Hank Warden as Old Home Guard Soldier. Cyril Delavante as Elderly Farmer. Alan Hewitt as a soldier. Lenny Weinreb as the voice of King Leonidas. Lenny Warmey also voices the Secretary Bird. Dallas McKeenan as Fisherman Bear. Bob Holt as Codfish. Cosmic Creepers as Cosmic Creepers. Yes, uh, I wanted to give that. That has a little caveat because I tried to find the cat actor's name and it was unaccredited. And then I went to other websites and it said cat as cosmic creepers mm-hmm. and finally i went to a third website that said cosmic creepers as cosmic creepers and i said boom there is that so i just i gave him the name cosmic creepers as you know cosmic what? it's Cre- a good name yeah. if i ever get another black na- cat his name will be cosmic creepers very good so <laughs> when diving into the plot i have book quote-unquote opening title sequence uh and the title, it's not a book opening, but the title cards are clearly drawn to look like um, Middle Ages book, but it didn't open, so it doesn't count. So, like, here's a question for you. Have you seen this before? Bedknobs and Broomsticks? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I grew up on it as a kid. So I've never seen this. Yeah. This is like Mary Poppins all again, where I haven't seen this. Okay. Spoiler alert, I'm not going to rag on this as much as Mary Poppins, at least. Okay. I enjoyed this more. Well, we're we're flipping it, then, because I, I enjoyed Mary Poppins more, and... Uh, I enjoyed this. I know exactly why I enjoyed this more, okay. but we'll get there. Okay. And we have the song Overture slash The Soldiers of the Old Home Guard, which I want to say, when I looked up the songs for this movie, there were so many different ones with so many different titles. I had a heck of a time. Like, this one was not just Overture slash The Soldiers of the Old Home Guard. Other websites just had it as The Old Home Guard. Other so- so websites just had it I'm as opening surprised. song. That's why I just have it as war song in my notes. Because yeah. I'm like, I know what song it's talking about, but... And, uh, but I, uh, and it's not just this one. There's other ones, too, that um, have different... Mm-hmm. Ty- it was very frustrating to do for this movie. But in, anyway, it was performed by a male studio chorus. And I have a note here saying, A marching vanguard of World War I soldiers, a.k.a. old men, singing about how they'll defend England... And I, I also think, you know, the film came out less than uh, 30 years removed from World War Two. I'm sure this was a proud moment for those soldiers still living and their children. But for me, it was just OK. Thankfully, it's a short song. I gave it a five out of ten. I actually I gave it a six out of ten. To be fair, I like weird war shanty type things, so I'm not surprised. OK, I'm into that kind of thing. Well, during the 1940 London Blitz, Charlie, Carey, and Paul Rollins are evacuated to the small village of Penningreer Eye. I'm saying that correctly, right? Penningreer Eye? Pepinridge Eye? Pepinridge, yes, you're right. Pepperidge. Pepperidge Eye. To the small village of Pepperidge Eye, where they are placed in the care of Miss Price, who is reluctant to take them in. But has to due to a due to a special order, and Mrs. Hobday tells her that with the number of children that arrived that day, she has to find homes for everyone at at such short notice. 
And I have a note here saying that Disney originally wanted Andrew, uh, Julie Andrews to play Miss Price. However, she turned down the role. <clears throat> I can't talk at all. She turned down the role. She would later change her mind, but by that time, Angela Lansbury had already signed on to do the role. And while I do enjoy Angela Lansbury in this role, I feel like the movie might have been different and perhaps a little bit better with Andrews in the lead role. Julie Andrews is 10 years younger than Angela Lansbury, and it might have made the character of Miss Price feel a little bit younger. Yeah, I do understand that. Now, like, thinking about it, especially, like, I, I love Angela Lansbury, so I was very excited to see <laughs> that she was in this, so. But, no, I get, I could see Julie Andrews being better in the role, just making her feel younger. Yeah. Uh, nothing, like, I, I like Angela Lansbury, but it, it, it would just been a different, because at the but time. But I do feel like Julie Andrews makes it feel more like Mary Poppins, then, because it, you have, like, the young. It already friend. does. Like, it already feels like that. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I know why I like it more, but. But I, I, I don't know. Just because at the time that they made the movie, Angela Lansbury was 45 and Julie Andrews was 35. And, and it just, I don't know. If you, I like Angela Lansbury, don't get me wrong. I grew up watching Murder, She Wrote. Great yeah, show. same. Um, but I, I just feel like it would have been a, a slightly different movie with a, a younger person in the role. Yeah. The three children learn that Miss Price is an apprentice witch who wants to use her witchcraft to aid in the war effort. In exchange for their silence, she casts a spell on a bed knob that Paul removed from the from the brass bed in their room. When reattached to the bed, it'll travel anywhere he asks. But before they can test out the knob, however, the local reverend comes by with a letter, and it is from her teacher. It has written to Miss Price to tell her that the school she has been learning from has been closed due to the war. And because of that, she will not be receiving a lesson which she was very anxious to receive. She tells them their first trip is to go back to London to locate the headmaster of Miss Price's correspondence school. While Carrie and Paul are excited to test out the new bed, Charlie does not believe uh, the bed works. However, when Miss Price's black cat scares him, he jumps onto the bed right before it leaves. And we have the song The Age of Not Believing performed by Angela Lansbury. And I wrote down that it has been decades since I last watched this movie. But as soon as the song started playing, I remembered bits and pieces of it. And it's probably the best song from the film. I wrote that as I was watching this movie. And I feel that way at the, having watched it. And I give it a 7 out of 10. I give it a 5 out of 10. I didn't really connect with the song. Okay. We're, we're, it's interesting how different our scores are getting in this one. But um, they soon arrive in London, where they meet Professor Emilius Brown who in reality is a con artist and who created the Correspondence College of Witchcraft using what he believed were nonsense passages in an old book about a wizard named Astaroth. He is surprised to learn that the spells actually worked for Miss Price. That was my favorite part is when he was like, oh, what do you mean they worked? And then like he admitted that he like mixed up all the words. So that's why none of them were working perfectly. Because he wasn't sending them out perfectly, he was. I never put that together. Out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's why it wasn't working. Like, um, oh, like, or they weren't working that's as well as they could be. She was turning people into rabbits when she meant to turn them into toads and stuff. Yeah, and they oh, were. Okay. It was only happening for like a couple minutes because it wasn't the actual thing. It just that makes sense. Was a mixed-up version. Okay, I didn't put that together. But um, I just wanted to put a correction in here that I ha in our episode on Mary Poppins, I said that David Tomlinson 
was the villain in Pete's Dragon, however I was wrong. That actor was Jim Dale. I confused the two due to this movie. Professor Brown and Dr. Terminus, the villain from Pete's Dragon, are both uh, con men who give themselves respective titles. Professor, Doctor. Yes. So that, that's where I got confused. And then the next part is Miss Price asks to see the book, and Professor Brown takes them to, the, to an abandoned mansion where he is currently residing. While the children explore it, he shows Miss Price the book, which is actually torn in half, thus explaining why he closed the school before sending out the final spell, one that she believes will greatly help her cause. And we have here the song Egalitine, performed by David Tomlinson and Angela Lansbury. And I wrote that it is performed well by them, but a nothing to it song, so I gave it a 5 out of 10. I gave it a 4 out of 10. It's 4 out of 10. I kind of hated how, like, slunky and, like, skeevy he felt during it, too. Like, he did not feel like a man I wanted to, like... Well, see, now, here's here's the difference between having Angela Lansbury and, and uh, Julie Andrews. Not, nothing against Angela Lansbury, but if it was Julie Andrews, it'd be like, oh, this guy's going after this hot young chick versus oh this guy's creeping on this middle-aged older lady <laughs> like I, I don't know i think it still would have been creepy either way though oh it's creepy either way but it would have been uh more creepy would have made more sense i yeah, think yeah but did you like how i refer to 35 as young um because one of us is turning 35 first <laughs> uh, uh professor brown tells her that he bought it from a bookseller at a street market but because he gave the bookman what he believed to be a dud coin, they each got half of the book. She, Professor Brown, and the children traveled to Portobello Road to search its many stalls and carts for, of old books. And we have here the song Portobello Road, performed by David Tomlinson, John Archard, uh, Thurl Ravenscroft, Ian uh, Wighill, Cindy Callahan, Roy Snart, and others. And again, another well-performed song, but nothing much to it. It is a fun number, though, so I gave it a 6.5 out of 10. It reminded me of the Step in Time segment from Mary Poppins. It's fine, but the accompanying dance number goes on for far, far too long. And then I have one other question that I'll wait until... Yeah, uh, so, yeah, yeah the, I had pretty much seen that about the dance going on way too long. I was like, oh, it's, it's still going where, where we haven't stopped. Like, the, it just kept going. I gave it a 4 out of 10. Okay. Just because I didn't really like the song. And, like I said, I'm not into the musical things. Okay. So, like, I wasn't really sold on anything that was going on. I was like, I mean, it's nice, but, like, let's go on with the plot. We got a good plot going on here. I think, uh, for me personally, we've reached the stage of Disney movies where I've seen them in my childhood, and I have fonder memories of them. Like, I remember them being better when, than mm -hmm. actually watching them right now. But I also have a note here asking, do you think those two young women in the pink and green dresses who approach Professor Brown, uh, Brown were sex workers? Because <laughs> the way they, 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 might have been. they like, slid oh, up to man. him, and he's like, hello, ladies, get out of here, <laughs> like... I just, I just had a feeling. You might be right. Yeah, because they were in these bright color things when everyone else is in muted clothes and stuff, and they were literally on a corner. <laughs> but I don't know. But their search attracts the attention of a spy named Swineburn, who works for a man known as the Bookman. After the street market closes for the day, Swineburn takes the entire Swineburn takes the entire group, including the magical bed, to see the Bookman, who is revealed to possess the other half of the book. He and Miss Price exchange their halves, 
but the completed text only says that the spell is inscribed on a medallion known as the Star of Astaroth. The bookman tells them that, during Astaroth's life, he used magic to imbue animals with uh, anthropomorphism and give them human qualities. However, they rebelled against him, killed him, stole many of his magical possessions, and traveled to an unknown land. When the bookman names it, Paul realizes it's one described in a children's book he took from Professor Brown's house. He asks Paul to give it to him, but he refuses which prompts a tense standoff. And I wrote down here that I laughed at Swineburg's, uh, Swineburn's line, if it's all the same to you, I'd rather use my own sentiment, you know, when the bookman hands him a knife. And I don't know yeah. why, but that little line cracked it me up. It did make me laugh too. Yeah. Before the bookman can get the book, Miss Price, Dr. Brown, and the children escape on the bed and travel to the Isle of Nabumbu. Initially landing in a nearby lagoon, they go underneath the beautiful briny sea, where Miss Price and Professor Brown win a dance contest at the briny ballroom, an underwater nightclub, until the bed with the children on it is caught by a bear who is fishing in the lagoon. And we have the song, the, Be- the Beautiful Briny, yeah, the Beautiful Briny, I think it should be the Beautiful Briny Sea, but again, one of those many named songs, so I chose The Beautiful Briny, uh, sung by David Tomlinson and Angela Lansbury. And I wrote, I could see what they were going for here. It's supposed to be like the Jolly Holiday segment from Mary Poppins. It's similar, but in my opinion, not as good. Six out of ten. Yeah, I give it a five out of ten. You know, again, I'm not, I'm not much of a musical person so five out of ten didn't really like it also the segment while pretty and interesting would just make me go but how are they breathing and breathing underwater yeah like these are the things that bug me magic yes magic i'm well aware it's magic and the fact that it's animated sequence versus real life people they're like this is a completely different thing yeah of course we can breathe underwater in animation well because even that (laughs) fish swims down david tomlinson's throat and then comes back up yeah like he's totally fine yeah just yeah. The magic of animation. We can do anything. <laughs> Imagination. Imagination. <laughs> I'm doing I'm doing the hand rainbow effect <laughs> so everybody knows what's going on over here. Imagination. Um the, that was a great episode of that or three episodes I think of South Park, if I remember correctly. But Imagination Land. Yeah. Yeah. Um The bear reveals that no people are meant to be on the island by order of King Leonidas, the Spartan king, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But Paul does point out that in the book, anyone is allowed to see the king, whether they are humans or animals. Miss Price then asks the bear to lead them to the kingdom. He leads them to meet the king, who is a lion. He is upset because nobody has volunteered to referee a royal soccer match. Professor Brown convinces him that he can do so, and he observes the star hanging from King Leonidas's neck. And I have a note here saying it's interesting that they refer to soccer as soccer and not football as the Brits do. Yeah, and they call it football at points too as I, well, like the characters. Like I have the... that note. I believe it's Paul says it later. Um, yeah. But it, right here they're calling it soccer. And it just, I was like, hmm. What in, like, and you know, it's, I'm like, ah, oh, of course it's soccer. Yeah. We have the British here. And then I'm like. But why are we calling it soccer? Like, that was my thought. Like, of course it's soccer. What else would it be? Mm -hmm. Uh, I also have a note here saying that I feel like we'll be seeing King Leonidas' design 
or a very similar one very soon in another Disney classic. And we continue to just see them using the same animations. Yeah, literally the only difference, I believe, is uh, King Leonidas has hair, and the other character does not. (laughs) I think that's... My thought process is also just, you know... Actual, like, hand-drawn animation is very difficult, and that if they don't have to draw new characters completely, they would probably rather not do it. So, understood. Oh, that looks good. Let's do that again. (laughs) That looks perfectly fine. Let's change it, and we Um, can just trace some of our, like... Get the white out. Uh Right. (laughs) The game becomes a silly contest among the animals, where the rules are made up on the spot, and Professor Brown tries in vain to grab the star from King Leonidas while being knocked down repeatedly by the animals. Following the game, he secretly switches the star with his referee's whistle. Furious, King Leonidas runs after them to get it back, but Miss Price turns him into a rabbit. And I have my first note here says, seeing the, hippopotamuses, uh, pa- or seeing the hippopotamus pass the ball to an ostrich made me think of Fantasia, that little segment that was the hippopotamuses and the ostrich and the yeah. crocodiles. And then I loved how the vultures were very excited every time they thought Professor uh, Brown was injured. They would run out <laughs> of the field, these big smiles, and then they, they'd slowly walk back whenever he, he was okay. And then here's that note. Interestingly, Charles does call the soccer game or the soccer match a game of football. Yes. So it was Charles, not Paul, that said it, like I said before. But yeah, so he does refer to it as football at that point. The group then uses the bed to return home only to discover that the star has disappeared, as it cannot leave the fantasy world. Fortunately, Paul reveals that the words of the substitutionary locomotion uh, substitutionary locomo- locomotion spell have been in his book all along, and we have the song Substitutionary Locomotion, sung by Angela Lansbury, David Tomlinson, Ian uh, Wyhill, Cindy O'Callaghan, and Roy Snart. And I wrote, well sung, but forgettable in my opinion, four out of ten. So funny. I love this song. I don't know. There's something about it. I I like songs with big words, seven out of (laughs) ten. Also, I think it's so funny that, like, I love that kind of, like, thing that happens, like, trope, where it's like, ah, we had the answer all along. Okay. It was well done here. It was. It was well done. It was well done. Like, none of you were listening to me, but I had the answer. (laughs) Miss Price attempts the spell, which gives inanimate objects the ability to move on their own, but is unable to control it. After a feast of sausages and mash, Miss Price is still unhappy that the spell doesn't work. So to cheer her up, Mr. Brown does some juggling. And I wrote down here, Cosmic Creepers wanting some sausages and mash for the win. Like, he comes back in, he's like... can't leave him behind. He's like, does anyone want any more food? That's because Cosmic Creepers is secretly, like, Salem from Serena the Teenage Witch and uh, is a human. Well, oh, possibly. I hadn't considered that. But I I was going to say very much so in the real world perspective because some of the scenes with him were an actual animatronic cat, whereas other scenes were a live cat. Love it. Yeah. Accidentally stepping on the cat's tail, an apple lands in the gravy... And makes it, which I actually, it was pretty impressive that David Tomlinson can juggle the way that he was doing it. I hadn't considered that until what he really was juggling those. Um, but after accidentally stepping on the cat's tail, an apple lands in the gravy and makes a mess. But Miss Price and the children think it's very funny and laugh. Hilarious. <laughs> Seconds later, Mrs. Hobday has arrived to tell Miss Price that she found someone to take care of the children. The local milkman and his wife would be happy to raise the children on their farm. However, Miss Price tells her that things have changed. 
She has grown fond of the children, and the children say that Mr. Brown has become like a father to them. After Miss Hobday leaves, the children ask if he can stay on. However, Mr. Brown says he is going to return to London. He says goodbye to Miss Price and the children, and after the children go to bed, Miss Price cleans up. That night, a German raiding party arrives uh, in Pepperidge Eye and, commands, uh, and commandeers Miss Price's house. She and the children are captured and taken to the museum inside the old castle. Uh, Professor Brown, while waiting overnight at the station for the first train to London, discovers other Germans engaging in acts of sabotage. He realizes that Miss Price and the children are in danger, returns to the house, breaks in, but hears Miss Price's cat, Cosmic Creepers, meowing very loudly. He tries to quiet it, quiet him very aggressively, I might add, but the Germans can hear him and go inside to investigate. Professor Brown goes into the room where Miss Price keeps her spells and figures and figures out how to turn himself into a rabbit, and it works. He escapes the Germans and the house and then joins the others at the castle. After reverting to human form, he suggests the substitutionary locomotion spell uh, be cast on the old uniforms and weapons in there. Miss Price agrees, and they use it to create a magical army of medieval knights, Elizabethan guards, cavalries, redcoats, and highlanders. And I wrote that this is the part of the movie that I most clearly remembered from my childhood. Like the all the yeah. coat of our soldiers <laughs> marching. I loved all that, though. Like I said, I've never seen this movie before, so I was like, yeah, let's go. Use all that magic. It is a really cool scene. But moving back into the plot. Uh, the Germans, unable to stop the seemingly invincible army, retreat back into the sea, but not before destroying Miss Price's workshop as a small act of revenge. The explosion knocks her from the sky, where she has been directing the magical attack the magical attack aside her broomstick, astride her broomstick, breaking the spell. Meanwhile, all the old home guard soldiers have received word about the German soldiers coming ashore. They manage to send them away. While Miss Price may not be a witch again, she w uh, never really believed in being a proper witch at all. Eh, here's the thing. Give her more spells and stuff. She could be a witch sometime again. Yeah. Like, well, magic clearly works in this world, because yeah, even Professor so like, Brown can do it. So, like, she can obviously, like, she might not have the resources at the moment, but there's no reason why she can't get resources again. I can only be, uh, I can only imagine how, in this world's uh, universe, how angry Hitler would have been at these Nazis when they get back. It's like, wait, first off, you were defeated by a witch, and you did not bring her back to me? You know I'm obsessed with the occult. Like, <laughs> right? Yeah, like... You didn't bring her back to me? <laughs> Nine! Like, it, it would be... They'd all be dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you lost, and you did not bring back the witch. Ah! Uh, the next morning, Professor Brown enlists in the war and departs with an escort from the local chapter of the Home Guard. Like, good on him for doing that, but also I hate him for it. Like... It's another way to get away from the kids, do you right? think? Um, he was like, I can't leave them. Yeah. Like, realistically off to war but like good on him for being responsible and doing the right thing going to war yeah he chose to grow up at 45 yeah, <laughs> he chose to do the thing yeah while the children are unhappy and think that without the spells it won't be fun anymore paul reveals that he still has the bed knob implying that they can at least go anywhere they like and the film ends with the old home guard marching off while singing uh finale or reprise of the old, old home guard 
and is performed by a male studio chorus. So, moving into our overall scores. Should I go first here for once? Let's go. I'm going to go first. Go ahead. So, what was my biggest gripe about... Because we're going to be comparing this to Mary Poppins. What was my biggest gripe about Mary Poppins? Mostly, that there wasn't really plot elements going here, and the ending wasn't earned. Like, it just... Then nothing happened. Like, and even more so now that I've watched this, I'm like, no, that was the issue the whole time with Mary Poppins. There is no plot to Mary Poppins, really, other than we're taking care of the children. But, like, there's no... Like, we don't do anything beyond it. At least this feels like, yeah, Mrs. Price gets stuck with the children, but at least she's, like, clearly up to something and trying to do something. Like, there is plot. Mm. Like, they're not just going off to the briny sea to go off to the briny sea to entertain the children. It's like, it's Mrs. Price being like, I got to you, you're coming with me. Like, and that's so much better for plot reasons over Mary Poppins. Like, is the music from Mary Poppins better? Yes. But... I don't really like the animation from either movie, so and okay. like I can't even really go there. But like, I think, like if we're just talking about like plot elements and story elements, like this does something more for me versus Mary Poppins that I just is like okay, but why? I can see where you're coming from with that. Like all the characters had their own story that was going yeah, on. Yeah, like I felt like by the end where like everybody's ending is kind of earned. Everybody kind of. Feels rounded out by the end. Like, mm. all the characters, like, we're not just having, again, it's not just an adventure for adventure's sake, which is what Mary Poppins is at the end of the day. It's adventure for, we're trying to get these pages. We're trying to get the star. Oh, we found the star, but the thing's not working. Now, did I feel towards the end of the movie that that movie was a little bit getting long? Because I was like, okay, all right, let's just fight, fight the Nazis and get over with. Like, <laughs> let's go. Mm. Like, let's do it. So I gave it a six out of ten. Okay, I I liked it, but still mid level. Yeah, yeah, still mid level. Like I don't think I'd rush to watch it again. But like, you bastard! It's not. <laughs> you stole my line. It's not bad. <laughs> so Did I'm, I? yeah, I'm gonna go into my <laughs> overall score now. Um, so I recently criticized the Aristoc- uh, Aristocats for being too similar to other Disney films but not as good. The same, I'm sad to say, is true for Bedknobs and Broomsticks. It's too similar to Mary Poppins, though not as good, in my opinion. While uh, mostly entertaining, there are many segments of the film that drag on, and only one song is really memorable, and that's The Age of Not Believing. And I also feel that the plot wraps up a little too conveniently. Miss Price doesn't perform magic well until she needs to, and then it can all be forgotten about afterwards. Angela Lansbury and David Tomlinson do give good performances, though I can't help but wonder what the film would have been like if Julie Andrews had played Miss Price. For those reasons, I'm giving Bedknobs and Broomsticks a 4.5 out of 10. Not entirely terrible, but not something I would rush to watch again. (laughs) So we have a similar feeling about that. I have a slightly lower score than you, but mid-level, you know, like I said, these are, we reached the Disney movies that I've seen, from my childhood but remember differently like i remember this being a much different movie yeah it's just the way that it goes sometimes but without anything else to say i'll just say this has been the once again podcast any questions comments or critiques can be addressed to our email at onceagainpod at gmail.com follow us on our social media accounts once again pod all one word on twitter instagram and tiktok if you'd like to contribute to the podcast we have several tiers available on patreon.com slash once again pod 
As always, a like, follow, or share would be greatly appreciated. Thank you, and have a wonderful day. And remember, we will entertain you. We will always entertain you. Stiltskin always says that magic comes with a price. But for this price, you can get a nice piece of jewelry. Use code ONCEPOD for 10% off your first order at Unusual Magic Jewelry on Etsy. Click the link in the description.